you know, we've uh, covered in the last couple months showing how there's the the death of Christ, which was portrayed in the the uh, blood of the Lamb, and then there's the resurrection. Remember how God led people out of Egypt, the resurrection from the dead. God brought Israel out of Egypt. And where are they going now? To the promised land, the land of Canaan, which is a picture of the new heaven and new earth. It's all there in the Old Testament. But the in-between stage, the new life in Christ, you know, the, uh, our, our life in the resurrected Lord, and the travels to the new land, often is complicated with many tests of faith. Right, the life of the Christian, many tests of faith. And we begin to look at that also today as Israel now begins his journey with the Lord to the promised land. Um, verse 17, begin at verse 17. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Succoth and camped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Piharoth, between Migdal and the sea. Opposite Baal Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, we have, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took six hundred choice chariots, all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh. His horsemen, his army, overtook them camping by the sea beside Peheroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt. That's why you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you dealt so with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, 
you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to move forward. That's where we end God's word this morning. And our focus is verse 14, those few words, the Lord will fight for you. So, beloved in Christ, maybe you've heard this English expression. I don't know if it's in Punjabi or not. But caught between a rock and a hard place. A rock and a hard place. You can't move anywhere. And that's the situation that Israel, the congregation of the Lord, finds themselves. Before them is this sea. Can you just walk into the sea and drown? No, you're stuck behind the sea. And behind them, who's behind them? 600 chariots. And then more, perhaps a thousand chariots of the Egyptians. They're stuck. There's no way of escape. There's nowhere they can turn. There's nowhere they can go. And maybe at times, as a congregation, or as God's people, we find ourselves in similar kinds of circumstances. We feel stuck. We can't move. We don't know where to turn. We don't know where to go. And yet, God holds out his promise, always, to his people back then, to his people today, and that promise is always to us in Christ, who bought us with his blood, who has washed us from our sins. Will he not hold us? Will he not keep us? Will he not go with us? And you see that promise here, stand still. Come and see. See the salvation of the Lord. He's always been with you. He's going to fight for you. He's not going to abandon you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And you know, all through our lives, you see the Lord continuing to work out that salvation. He's promised a salvation. He works that salvation out in our lives, sometimes in very, very difficult situations. So think of the promise here. The Lord will fight for you. And what's our response? He wants us to respond by trusting him. That's really the point here this morning. Hear the call. Hear the call of the Lord to trust. To trust in him, your shepherd. He's a shepherd. He's the shepherd of his people. And we see three things here. First of all, in verses 17 through 22, we see how he leads his people. He's the one who leads his people. Second of all, he tests his people. It's the Lord who tests. The devil tempts in those circumstances, but it's the Lord who tests us. Will we trust him? Will we continue to follow him? And finally, we see he delivers his people, but we save that for next week as we see him bringing them through the Red Sea. But look, at first of all, he leads his people, the Lord. He brought them to freedom. He didn't have to, but he kept his promises. Many years later, we see him keeping his promises to Abraham that he would bring the people out of the land of Egypt, of the land of slavery. He did so. He brought them out. And now he's going to lead them to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. What a beautiful picture for us today, a picture of the new heavens and a new earth. That's the vision he wants us to see. He wants us to look forward. 
Yes, as we see here, God sometimes leads us in ways that we do not expect. Sometimes it looks like he's leading us away from the opposite of the land to come. He's taking us on these little rabbit trails, it seems, and we become perplexed. Maybe we see that as hope congregation, right? Well, suddenly we're supposed to move from here. Same sort of thing. It's perplexing. Sometimes it leads in ways we do not expect. But you know, there's two things here. The first thing here in these verses 17 to 21, or through 22, first of all, he, the Lord always knows which way is best for his people. He always knows what is best. You see that in verses 17 and 18. What do we read in verse 17? It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, what did God do? He did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. In other words, he could have led them that short, easy way by going north around the Mediterranean Lake or see directly into Canaan instead of going the opposite way. Begin to see, it would have been so much easier, it would have been so much more it was much shorter had, he taken, had they taken the blue route right into Canaan. See the blue route? It's direct into Canaan. But instead, what, Lord's going this way to lead his people to Canaan? That seems to be the opposite way. Well, that's what the Lord is doing here. He's bringing them that way. But he did not lead them that way, that short way, which looked to be the best way. Why not? Why not? Well, the Lord knows things. His people don't always know. And he wants to protect us. He wants to keep us. He knows how much we can handle. A shepherd leads. A shepherd leads his sheep. He always knows what is best for a sheep. He knows where the dangers are. He knows where the obstacles are. And so in verse 17, God the shepherd, what does he do? He consults with himself. He deliberates. And he says, perhaps the people may change their minds when they see war. If they take that short route, the Philistines are going to challenge them. They may see battle. And the Lord here sees how much his people can really handle. Think of a young plant. A young plant can't face the howling winds of the storm. We protect it. You put shelter around it. The Lord knows that Israel was a young plant, a young plant. Here in this case, they would meet the Philistines who would fight them. These people were not ready for that kind of war. They were not prepared to say, face such strong opposition. The Lord knows their weakness. The Lord sees that they would get really scared and they would just go back to Egypt. Doesn't that remind us of 1 Corinthians 10, 13? God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. You see, such care, such love of the shepherd for his people here. It may be the shortest way. It may look like the best way. But it's not because it was not God's way. God led them differently. Instead of a northerly route, he led them into a southerly route. The exact opposite direction. It's like he led them away from Canaan. It's like he led them away from the promised land into the wilderness. 
What? So God led, it says here, God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. Was it really the best way? Sometimes we may ask that question. Is what God is doing in our lives really the best way? In his wisdom, love, and care. You know, the Lord does not always lead us in the way or the route that we expect. But we do confess, do we not? Romans 8, 28. We know all things, everything, every single detail, work together for good to those who love God. You know, the Lord takes us along the best route so that we can also learn to trust him. Sometimes he takes us on these little unexpected routes because he's testing our faith. Will we trust him along the way? The Lord knows what he's doing. And even, you see it here. He knows the congregation. He knows each and every member. And who's the one who remembers or reminds the people of Israel to take the bones of Joseph? <laughs> I mean, think of how caring our shepherd is. Joseph had died when? About 450 years before. And Joseph said to his brothers, you make sure that when you go out of Egypt, as God has promised we will do, you take my bones with you. Well, that's how many generations back? But the Lord put it into their hearts that they had to take the bones of Joseph, take them from Egypt, and carry them, and carry them all the way to the wilderness and bring them into the land of promise. What a, what a God we have. So caring. So caring in all the details of life. The Lord always knows which way is best. That's the first part of this passage. The other part of this passage in verses 17 to 22 is, He not only knows the way which is best, but He always goes before His people. Think about it when we go through things. Who goes before us? The Lord does. The Lord is the one who goes before us, goes through those things with us, leading, guiding, protecting in the way. Look at verses 20 to 22. So they took their journey. The Lord went behind them, though he went before them, before them, leading the way. After all, who leads the way through the death and resurrection, our death and resurrection? The Christ. They could trust him. He went before them by day, it says here, in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. There's the word lead again. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. So it's to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from the people. You know, we can the pillar of fire by night, it was just a, a cloud, just a flame, right? Showing the presence of God with his people. Those are the signs that God gave. I'm with you. Those were visible signs. And in the day, a cloud that was always going before them. One cloud going before them. He showed that he was really with them. By day in a pillar of cloud, by night in a pillar of fire to light the way. You think a pillar, something that stands tall, right? That's what it was. It was like a pillar of fire, just showing his, his presence with his people. A pillar of cloud. He was with his people by day. He went before them like a shepherd going before his flock. He led them. You know, whenever it moved, 
it was time to move. Whenever it stopped, it was time to stop. But I think the real important thing here is he was with his people all the time. You know what, boys and girls? Is God with you in the nighttime? When it's dark and you're sleeping? Oh, yeah. He's with his people day and night. See? The cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night. Even in unexpected routes, detours in our lives, he goes before us. Even here, it looked like they were trapped by the sea. The Lord had no worries. He went before them. No worries. Guiding them, protecting them. Even then, when they're trapped by the sea, they could sing Psalm 121. We know Psalm 121. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Wow. Protecting presence. Today, does he guide us by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire at night? No, those symbols are no longer with us. He's not with us by a pillar of cloud and fire. But he's with us in a far richer, a far deeper, a far greater way. Remember the Lord Jesus? He went before us to the cross so that we could die to our sins. He went before us rising from the grave so that we could also be resurrected to new life. And then 50 days later, what did he pour out on the church? The Holy Spirit. And with it came many visible signs. Visible signs to show that he is with his people. The sound of a wind. The tongues of fire. Many different languages. Jesus says in John 14, 17, He who dwells with you, and he will be in you. You know, it's almost like this. Think of the presence of the Holy Spirit with us and in us. As if the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire by night are in us. It's, but it's so much better. It's so much more personal. It's so much richer. Uh, that's 1 Peter 4.14. It says, The Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Beautiful picture of that. The pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. Yes. The Lord leads his people. He also leads his people by his spirit today. Same thing. Not by pillar of cloud and pillar of light or fire. But the Bible says, as many as are led by the spirit of God. Romans 8, 14. As many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How does he lead us? How does he direct us? By the light of his word. Your word, O Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light upon my path. The Bible is given to the church in which believers see whom? The glory of Christ. He goes before us. We're called to follow. The Bible is written to help us as God's people in every place, in every age, as we make our journey, as we travel towards the promised land. The Lord says, I'm with you. Here's my word. Words. 
follow me. I give you everything you need to reach the promised land. Believe my promises. Follow. And Christ assures us he will equip us in the most tightest spots of our lives as we face the battles. I mean, big, big armies were chasing Israel at this point. But the Lord is bigger. He's far bigger than those little armies, those puny armies, the wicked armies of Egypt. That brings us to a second point. The test. The Lord leads, but sometimes the Lord leads us into tests because he's going to test whether we're going to trust him, that he's really big, that we will trust him to provide. The Lord always knows which way is best for his people. He's always with us to guide us. And if you look at Exodus 14, 1 through 15, it looks like God who led them leads them into a trap, doesn't it? It's like, okay, I'm going to lead you into a trap, and you're going to have nowhere to turn. And it looks so foolish, doesn't it? But the Lord is in control. Israel has to learn to trust him. Israel has to learn that our salvation, our help is not in ourselves. It's in the Lord. Come see. Come see what I can do. What I can do for you. Verses 1 through 4. We see that Israel had to learn God is able to work out everything for your good. But as he's working out everything for your good, the first thing is his glory. And when we see everything for his glory, then we begin to understand that it's also for our good. That's the first thing. It's all about God. Our lives are about God and what he wants to accomplish for himself in and through us. And that's what we see. If you look at verses 1 through 4, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Peharath. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say to the children of Israel, They are bewildered. They're confused by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Ah, the Lord leads his people by a strange route. You know, and it's the Lord who hardens Pharaoh's heart to pursue his people. And all of this, God is doing to bring glory to himself. It's about him. And us seeing his salvation. You know, God was leading his people into a corner, it seems, from which they could not escape, not even wiggle. No wiggle room. No wiggle room. There's no way that they could get out of it. That was the test. And God is now going to use Pharaoh's army to pursue them. And he's going to make Pharaoh's army think that God's people had no way of escape. But you know what's more here? It looks like God's people are in a trap here. But you know who's in the real trap? Who's God setting a trap for? (laughs) Egypt. That's who he's setting a trap for. His people are not trapped. They're to trust. He's going to bring them through. But they think, the Egyptians think that they're in a trap. That's what God wants them to think. But God's going to turn evil on its head. And he's going to show that they're in the trap. And he's going to reveal who the true and living God is. He's the Lord. They will come to know. You know, God did the same thing at the cross. Satan thought he had Christ trapped. 
He thought that when Christ died on the cross, he had won the victory. But it turns out, who was trapped? Satan. Christ won over Satan. Satan is defeated. And salvation, the salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed throughout the entire world this day. God turns evil on its head. Stand and see. Come and see the salvation of the Lord, the one who fights for you. He has foiled the plan of Satan. Watch. See how the plan of God unfolds here. Verses 5 through 9. He's going to use the Egyptians. He's going to use the world to test his people. Will they trust the Lord? God works. It's really interesting here. God is working out his plan. How is he working out his plan? In the wicked plan of the enemy. <laughs> it's not that they have their own little plan. They think it's their own little plan. But God is working out his plan in the plan, in the evil plan of Egypt. God's in control of it. They're responsible for the evil, but God is using it so that he may magnify his name. Look at verses 5 through 9. It was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled. And the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people, and they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him, took 600 choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. That's the Lord's doing. The Lord brought all this to pass. That that, that Egypt thought about this. That Egypt thought about pursuing. That Pharaoh's heart is hardened. So the Egyptians pursued them on all their horses and the chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea. Little do they realize they're just a little mouse, Egypt. They're just they're in the hands of the Lord. And God, in this, in this tight corner for his people, he's going to reveal that he is the Savior, the God of his people. He's the one who fights for his people and against his enemies. How many times in Exodus 14 is, made, is, is there mention of men, chariots, and horses? Read through that. Men, chariots, and horses. Scary. Looks scary. But it's the very thing the Bible warns us not to trust in. We're not to put our trust in human strength, nor in the methods of the world. Psalm 27, Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Yeah. That's where the power is. It's the Lord. The Lord. And that brings us to the final part of chapter 14 for today, verses 10 through 15. The call is to trust. To trust God, even in the most strangest roots of our lives. Like you see with Israel here. What a strange root. Verses 10 through 12 are so vivid. We see ourselves in it, don't we? Suffering from a meltdown. Pharaoh and his thousand chariots are approaching from the north. And God's people see swirls, you see clouds of dust. And fast and furious. And what are they going to do? Drown themselves in the Red Sea? Completely closed in. What should we do? What should we do? If we were there, what should we do? We should not do what the Israelites did. That's what the Bible says. We should not do what Israelites did. 
Instead of looking to the Lord, instead of looking at the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night, instead of looking to God's grace and glory, they started looking down, they started looking at the horses and the chariots, and they were afraid, the Bible says, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. You notice that the cry here is not a cry of faith, we trust you, Lord. No, it's a cry of fear, it's a cry of anger. They used evil words against Moses. Ha, huh, Moses, it's just because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness. Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you in Egypt, saying that us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Wow. Wow. Is that trust? Psalm 106 says, if you look at Psalm 106, verse 7, it interprets that for us. It says that they rebelled. They rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. What have they forgotten? Everything the Lord had done for them. Miracles upon miracles. We see the ten plagues. They saw it. They saw it. They saw how they were protected by the blood of the Lamb. They saw how they were raised out of Egypt, brought to life. They saw everything. But they forgot. They forgot. And like Israel, in times of problems, it's easy. Those things are a temptation, aren't they? We start questioning the Lord. We start doubting Him. We get scared. We think that we need to work something out rather than say, God's already working it out. He already is. He's already working it out. He said, trust me. You don't see it, but trust me. I'm working it all out for you. And it's easy for us to go back to those old ways. Maybe we don't go back to Egypt, but we go back to anger, complaining, fear, all those things that are the opposite of faith. We begin to doubt, even though Christ has done all this for us. Never doubt his love. Never. If he did this for you, shedding his blood on the cross, taking away your sins, will he not care for you? The Lord wants us to teach us. The Lord wants to teach us to cry out to him for help. That is to trust on him. For forgiveness, for grace, to persevere. That's the way the Lord works out our salvation. Salvation is given, but he also works out that salvation in the way we respond to him. That's his saving grace, and we can respond by trusting in him. God's people were in the exact place where he wanted them to be, trapped by the sea. But really, it was the enemy that was trapped. That's what really was happening. God knows. He has a plan. He will provide. Moses gave these complaining people a beautiful sermon. And that beautiful sermon was quite short, verses 13 and 14. When you hear that sermon, don't be afraid. Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord, which will, he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you. You hold on to your peace. You stay there. You, you, you rely on the Lord in quiet confidence. 
He will work things out. He will bring you to the land. Don't try to figure out yourself. Follow the Lord. What do we have to do to be saved? Nothing. Nothing. Jesus did everything. It's finished on the cross. He said those words. All we need to do, oh, we have to do something. But even then, what we need to do, he gives that to us so that we can look to him. All we need to do is look to him. Look to him for our salvation. Trust him. Believe. That's it. Believe. He atoned for sin, and he offers his perfect righteousness, which is ours through faith in him. In Christ you have everything. Don't, don't waffle. Don't be unbelieving. Follow the good shepherd who continues to go before you. Trust his promises that he has given you. That's why the Lord says to Moses in verse 15, Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Into the water? Into the deep red sea? Where? How? Moses, tell them. Move forward in faith. But I'm stuck. Never mind. Move forward in faith. That's the way you need to obey. Is move forward in faith. Into the Red Sea? Yeah. Even if it means going into the Red Sea. Otherwise, there's no blessing. There'll be great harm. Follow the Lord. Follow the Lord. Believe. He will fight for you. But yeah, we need to trust him. Knowing that he leads us. He knows which way is best. He guides and protects all who trust in him. He calls to trust him, knowing that he tests our faith. But he desires to show his glory. That's what he wants to show. That the glory of his salvation belongs to him. And that he wants to show to the whole world. Through us. Through his people. That's one of the benefits, isn't it? This is one of the great blessings of coming together on Sundays. Because it's again the Lord always reminding us, come and see. Come and see the salvation of the Lord. Thank him.